one of my news links, and I've just got to read it, you know. And so I, I've got all this, these tidbits of information that don't that mean absolutely nothing or don't help anything. <laughs> okay. Psalm 115, 115. Has everybody got a copy of the? Okay, bear in mind that this would be the middle psalm that would be read during the Passover feasts. And again, was it read, and many people believe it was, during the Passover, the night before the Lord was betrayed. And since it talks about death and separation from God, you can imagine what it meant to to the Lord Jesus as he read this. So he said, now, just think about it. Now, last week we saw how that in verse, Psalm 114 was really uh, almost childish. It was kind of appealing to children and their imagination about the sea stopping and the rivers parting and all that. Now, you know, and it personified those things. But now with this Psalm, we see that it talks about idols. He said, now unto us, O Lord, not, excuse me, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. I love that verse. Just underline that. He does, you know, uh, God does whatever he pleases. Not whatever we please for him to do. He says, the idols are silver, their idols are silver and gold. Their work, the work of man's hands They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. That's another verse. Those who make the gods are like them. We'll see that in a moment. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless the those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven and even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So you see that this psalm is about uh, bless, blessings. And of course, you can imagine, um, again, if you've seen this, I, I think of, uh, again, the only time I've really gotten to be able to see a lot of this is in like Fiddler on the Roof, whenever they, really the mother leads a lot of that. But uh, Again, you could hear them reading this and about the blessings that are, you know, that are being passed out to the children. And, and so he says, you know, again, the encouragement to bless or to, that if we will do what God tells us to do, then blessings come from him. 
Now, in saying that, we see that they're really divided up into three different parts. You have the living God, as contrast to the dead God, contrasting to the dead God. You have the giving God, the blessing God. And then you have also, you have the listening God. And so that's the way I've divided up these three. three. So verses 1 through 8, we have the living God. And notice he begins with the focus on Jehovah. He says, uh, um, he says, not unto us, Lord, don't let us. I mean, with all the pageantry and all the things we can do as far as worship. And many times our worship services can turn to the glorification of man rather than really pointing to God. If the, now, it, I, I have been blessed to the point of tears at times by people singing or by uh, some uh, production or, or, or even preaching. But, uh, the, but really, if that doesn't draw me to God, if it draws me to a person, then I need to you know, back up and say, what am I really worshiping? And that's the problem with the modern worship services today is that they draw attention. And the modern, really, the, the whole idea of the, of the CCM and all this is really the, the, the people become the stars. Now, I'm not against, and of course, we, I love to have uh, talented people. In fact, remember the, the girl that played, uh, the missionary that came through and she played her uh, very accomplished violinist? I got more comments about that, both on my personal as well as the church email, by just having that lady now, of course, she didn't mention it at all about, you know, she didn't bring glory to herself, but the music was beautiful. Well, that's what we want. And at the same time, we do know that some people can sing better than others, and some people can preach better than others, and actors can, or, you know, we can have plays and all that. That should bring glory to, uh, glory to God. And so whatever we do, and that's why even in my preaching, if someone compliments me, I like to say, you know, well, praise the Lord. And let's praise the Lord and not me or whatever else, and uh, um, I like what, um, what again, you know, I quote Spurgeon a lot, because he's got, the, his, well, his commentary is still considered a masterpiece, as far as the treasury of David is concerned, but someone said, you know, here he was in his 30s or 40s, and, uh, you know, his, his, um, his writings and his books and books of sermons were going around the world. And they were print, and the London London Times, which is a major newspaper even today, they would print his messages. And they he had had six thousand people come to listen to him, and it got so crowded that they had to give out tickets, not not sell them, but to give them so so they wouldn't have a stampede at the door. I mean, boy, wouldn't that be great, <laughs> you know, to have that? And someone said uh, to him, you know, they said. Uh, do you have trouble with pride? And he mentioned all those things. He said, you know, I do have problems with pride, but that's one reason the Lord has given me all these physical ailments. You know, he realized that God, as Paul had a thorn in the flesh, he died at 54 years old. You know, so he had all kinds. You know, one thing that he did to keep his voice clear, maybe I need to try, he would use cayenne pepper. Now, cayenne pepper, I understand, is very hot. Is that true? And he would, he would, Take a little bit of that before you get up and speak. I mean, I don't know. I'll leave it there. But, uh, you know, again, but uh, I like what uh, there was another famous preacher there. This was a time when England was really sending missionaries all over the world. There was another man named Joseph Parker, and he was a good preacher. And in fact, there's volumes of his books and so forth. 
But an American went over one time, and I think he, he, he said, when you go to hear Parker, you think you come out and say, my, what a great preacher. When you come out from Spurgeon, you say, my, what a great God. You know, so he just had a way of exalting God. And God still is using well, Obviously, he's still using him because I go to him almost every week to, you know, to, for, for these, uh, these psalms. But uh, he just had a way with words. And he's like, you know, it's, it's interesting how that uh, Hitler, uh, someone compared uh, our cultures. And Germans have never been known for great orators. Uh, even Luther, he was known for his writings, but not his oratory. But the English seem to have a way with words. Think of Churchill and others. Just the way that, of course, I quoted Churchill last Sunday morning. Just have a way of turning a phrase. And, uh, and uh, Spurgeon was much like that. He just knew how to put it in such a way. In fact, uh, one time I was with a pastor was, uh, that uh, we were uh, reading lectures to my students or something uh, that he had written. And I had the book there, and the pastor that was writing along with me just picked it up, and he read a passage, and it just brought out, you know, you could hear the bells ringing and all that that uh, Spurgeon could do. And he said, and he said, my, I wish I could preach like that. And I said, me too. <laughs> so it's one of those things, you know, where you just, you know, do you, do you see what you hear? Do you see what I'm saying? You know, and, and literally he, he was a guy like that. But here we have uh, the Lord. He says, uh, first of all, that the focus is on Jehovah. Not unto us, Lord, but unto your name. Glorify your name. And remember, the name of God uh, contains all of his attributes. You know, you think about it, uh, uh, you want your name to be good because if your name is good, that means you're honest, that means you're, uh, you're moral, that means you're a good citizen, all the different things, you're good to people and all that. So when somebody mentions your name, they think of your attributes. And so when we think of God, he's merciful, he's good, he's, you know, kind, all those different things that God is. He's good. And so... Uh, we glory in his name and his attributes. And of course, his mercy, there's that word again, well over almost a thousand times in the Old Testament. Mercy, loyal love, that idea that uh, he loves us in spite of who we are. It's like a mother loving the child no matter how stinkery that child gets. And so it is with uh, uh, with the Lord loving us. And so um, I like that, you know, don't, we don't say... You want to, we want Jesus to love us. So that means we've got to obey him. That is the wrong theology. The Lord loves us. Jesus loves me when I'm bad, even though it makes him very sad. So we want to make sure that we don't condition or make the Lord's love conditional for anyone. He loves you. Doesn't he? Loves me. And boy, does he have to love me at times. <laughs> you know, he's got a loyal love and this mercy and this truth that he has. Now, what happens in contrast to that, the, the um, Gentile or the unsaved, Gentile to a Jew was an unsaved person, although we know many Gentiles in the Old Testament were saved, but it was kind of a category. But um, he said, where is their God? Because there was no depiction of God. Now, they had a lot of sacrifices and golden you know, labors or brass labor, bronze labors and all that but they didn't have any image of God. Now, I've had people, I've had, I remember one guy walking, he said, you know, 
when I come into your church, you don't have any symbols. You don't have a cross on the wall. You don't have, uh, so I was, you know, you don't have anything that uh, that depicts the Lord. And when I go to, and they mention another Protestant church, we have little things that represent different things and so forth. Or they, or you know, some of them have a, an altar up front and all this kind of stuff. Well, when you come to church here, what do we have to that you can see? That represents God. Okay, we got we got crosses in the window. I mean, but that's uh, okay, dear. Uh, what? But does that represent? Okay. Okay. Now, are those symbols though that where we see God? Yeah, so there, we don't have a, I mean, a cross is fine, but do you really see God in a cross? No, it reminds you of God, but there's nothing. What do we have? The preaching of the cross is to them the parish, foolishness. So what do we have? Now, of course, we have a cross, you know, up there or whatever, but, but we have a pulpit. That's where it starts. And we have what else that is our symbols? But they're, they're not a depiction of God, but they're a depiction of obedience to God. What are they? No, not the Christian flag. That's not biblical. In fact, sometimes I kind of wonder if we should even have a Christian flag. I won't get into that right now. But uh, but we have, what does the Lord tell us to do? The Lord's table. And also, if we if this was our church, we would have a baptistry. And that's about, but would we have anything where you can, would we have, an, would we have the Lord with his hands over us as we come in or any of that? What the, when you go to a church that you're from, you have all kinds of things that rep, that are God. You even have holy water, where you can actually put it on your head and go out because that's from and all these. We don't have any of that. And whenever we partake of the Lord's table, we stress the fact that that's not the that's not the body and blood of Jesus that represents it. And so, where's our God? You ask me how I know He lives. He lives. Within my heart, he's the living God. And if we do bring him down to our level, and that's what my wife was watching, uh, the new Ben-Hur last night or something, and I think they had Jesus wearing, I like, uh, was it Selznick? Anyway, he was a Jew, but he wrote a lot of the Old Testament, uh, or, the, you know, he, he was the one who uh, had uh, Moses, uh, the film with Moses, and then uh, what else? couple of others. Ben-Hur, even though he was an unsaved, uh, unsaved Jew, he really, he, it's, it's just amazing how in Hollywood in the 50s, 40s and 50s, that he was so close to the Bible. I mean, he, that's one of the guys that didn't manufacture, this modern Ben-Hur did. But the one thing he didn't do, if you remember uh, the old Ben-Hur, you never saw Jesus. You saw his hands or whatever, but you never saw him because he didn't want to bring Jesus down to man's level. And so many of this, this stuff today with what's that new one that's out every, every you know, what's that uh, modern series that's out? I forget the name of it because I've never watched The Chosen. It bothers me because how can you make, how can I, rep- how can I, week after week, be God, you know? I, it brings it down to a, a level, especially if I am going to depict God, I want to be t- totally perfect in everything that I represent. 
And sometimes, you know, some of the things I've seen that Jesus has done in some of these bothers me. Now, that doesn't mean that at times there may be a little glimpse of Jesus. or something. I don't want to get too technical, but it always disappoints me whenever I see Jesus in a film. Because he's always, he doesn't look like I think he should look, or whatever. But isn't it interesting? There's not one picture. There's not one sliver of the cross. There's not the grave. There is nothing that represents God. I mean, that represents Jesus. The the shroud of Turin is a, whatever, is something that's not, it's it's a phone. It's not God, it's not Jesus, or whatever. But uh, there's nothing that we have to to see God physically. We see God. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. And why? why? Because God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And we see with our minds God rather than with our eyes, because there's nothing that would represent God. And every time we do, we bring him down to our level. And we'll see that in just a moment. Okay, so we see that he says, where is their God? And so notice how that he, talking about all that, notice the, 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 how that he compares them. He says, uh, first of all, whatever God does, he pleases, God does whatever he pleases. I like that. <laughs> Boy, you know, well, uh, wait a minute, your God is so unfair. <laughs> oh my God, if he was fair, we'd all be in hell. Um, so there again is, is who is God? Well, I don't think that God should do this, all right? You know, how can a loving God allow this to happen? Well, because you have not exalted God. God can do what he pleases. And it's up to us to either accept it or to get mad at him. But what good does, you know, can the potter say to the clay, why have you made me thus? Of course, you know, again, we, you can get mad at God, but at your own peril. And so we see uh, he does what he pleases. And, but the, uh, conversely, those who make their gods, we see that uh, they have uh, mouths. He says they make them with their own hands and they have mouths to, to, to speak, but, or they have mouths, but they do not speak. But we know that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, the Bible says man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And of course, he wrote it down for us. So it's the Word of God. The Word, word of God is, uh, is the very, it was God inspired. It's his words that he gave us. And uh, so we see uh, God does what he pleases uh, with, it, with his voice as he speaks. They have eyes, but they do not see. And uh, think of, okay, we got Psalm 32, 8. But can you think of a, a woman who was cast out and she was in a barren land and her son was about ready to die and yet uh, the Lord appeared to her and what did she say? Thou Lord seest me. Hagar. And so he sees. And so then you think Ear, uh, they have ears uh, they have but they do not hear. And of course we do know that the Lord is listen. He hears the voice of the righteous. And so we do know that in Psalm 34. Uh, they have noses. Now this was one that was kind of hard. I had to change it to useless. But because I said noses they have. But, uh, uh, but God 
But our God smells. But if I say that, it makes it sound like he stinks. But that, that's not what I mean. But So I had to change it to, but our God detects odors, doesn't he? And think about back in Genesis chapter 8 again. Moses, or excuse me, Noah coming out of the ark. And he made that sweet-smelling offering to the Lord. And, uh, and then think about uh, the incense that went out through the whole of the tabernacle. And that incense smelled, and it was, and it represented the prayers of the saints. So, how much does God smell from Calvary Baptist Church? And how sweet are they? You know. So uh, again, our God smells, but then they had hands. But Psalm eight verse three tells us that uh, He made the He made the heavens with His fingers. And so, yes, he made it with his hands. Uh, they have feet, but, uh, but they don't walk. And yet we know that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. So he walks with us. And he talks with us. And he tells us that we are his own. We sing that song, don't we? So we have a living God. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. And so we see... And then the the principle here, verse 8, when a man makes his God in his own image, he becomes like him. And really, if you turn over to uh, um, to, uh, to Romans chapter 1, let's see, and I really, that is such a powerful verse because you say, oh, you know, modern man doesn't have idols. Uh, Oh, yes, we do. Some, uh, or Verse 22 of chapter 1 of Romans, he says, um, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man with birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Well, wait a minute. You say, well, we don't have that type of thing around here. Look Look how far it's going today. They are... All this furry stuff and all, uh, look how man is turning to animals. They showed something and I just, I didn't want to see it all. But they got people going to these festivals out in San Francisco now that are dressing up like animals and acting like worse than animals. And folks, that's going to get in the church because everything else gets in church, doesn't it? It's just amazing how it goes downhill. And then, you know, they changed the glory of the incorruptible. Think of the glory of man, how that God made us in his own image. And now, very educated people will say that a man can be a woman, a man, a woman, a man, and totally desecrate both genders. I mean, well, we can get into that again. Of course, you say, I say that so much. Well, it's in the news every day, and you can't, get, you can't escape it. But how sad to see that we got a government that is pushing that and that people are acquiescing to it. So we see that man makes a God into his own image. But what does God tell us? That he wants us to become like him. So he tells us what? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And of course, he wants us to be in his image. 
And of course, we see that in Second Corinthians chapter 5. When we look into the mirror, the more we look into the mirror of God, the more that we reflect him. Because you become like who you love. And that's why we have to be careful about bitterness because bitterness is just love turned inside out. And invariably, I see when someone is bitter, then it's not long before they're bitter at God and they're bitter at me, representing God. I've seen that over and over again. And I've seen people come to church and they'll come for a couple of three years, but they don't get that anger out of them. And they'll leave mad. I don't know why, but I can't get it. But you, they've got to get over that bitterness in their lives or they become like the person they're bitter. That's why the Lord tells me to love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. Why? Because the more I do that, guess what? I'm going to become more like him. Uh, my daughter the other day put something on the internet. I'm becoming more like my mother. And I'm going, well, you love her. But <laughs> I don't know whether that was good or bad, but you know. Uh, but if you love people, then you become like them. And so notice uh, that uh, you make these images because you love yourself. So you're going to make these images to please you and not God. And so... Again, notice how many times that when man makes images, then it brings up the lust of his flesh. It doesn't purify him, it corrupts him. Okay, so that's uh, the living God. But then we see the giving God in the threefold appeal. Uh, very quickly, we see that he says, uh, Israel, trust him. He's your help and shield. Now, a lot of people believe this was a chant where like the father would say it and then the children would say it again. When you see these redundant things, a lot of times this would be something, especially in a psalm with Passover, where it would, there would be participation. So the uh, father or the, whoever the leader is would say, um, uh, and the family. Remember, the, the, the Passover was a private house-to-house uh, festival, not going to the temple. This was private. This was family member. And so the family, the, someone in the family would say, Israel, trust him. And, he would, and the, the kids and everybody else would say, he is our help and shield. Aaron, trust him. Of course, those were the priests. He is your help and shield. Uh, let everyone, that's everybody. Aren't you glad that God puts that in the verse? That means you and me. Let everybody. And of course, he says, he is your help and shield. And so this would be a kind of like a chant that uh, would be said uh, back and forth between family members. And so, uh, and then, you know, our God is mindful of us. And again, we see kind of this uh, chant. He says, the Lord has been mindful. He cares. He watches. He listens. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. Notice he goes through this again. It's kind of like a chant where they would say this back and forth. He will bless those who fear the Lord, and both small and great. And I love how that the, the New Testament defines God-fearers because Christians in Acts 13, 16, verse 26 also, 16, 14, 17, 17, different, five different times, Christians are called God-fearers. Isn't that great? God will bless you. So the, does this psalm pertain to us? Yes. All those who will trust him. Now, he won't bless us in the same way that he will bless Israel as far as that covenant is concerned, but he will bless the family. He will bless anybody and everybody 
You trust the God of Israel. And of course, uh, that's us because he's the God of everyone. He used Israel as, a, as an oracle to unsaved man. And I've been looking through the book of Isaiah and just how many times Isaiah preached to the Gentiles over and over again. He would preach to Israel and then he would preach to the Gentiles. And so we see that, uh, and so did Jeremiah, so did Ezekiel, so did even Daniel. They would preach to, and to, to, other, peop- to other people. And then we see people like Elijah or Elisha. Elisha, did he preach to, preach to Naaman, the Gentiles? Yes, he did. Habakkuk. Uh, well, uh, let's see, Jonah. Jonah, did he preach to the Gentiles? Yes. And so over and over again, we see that uh, they preached, no, not Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a kind of a personal journey there. But um, well, we see that God will bless anyone who fears him. And then we see that it's blessed again. Notice, just think about uh, being in this Passover and you've got the candles going and you've, had the, you've sung these other songs. And may the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May the Lord bless thee uh, by, by the Lord. May the Lord uh, who made heaven and earth. Uh, there again, there's that chant that uh, if you watch Fiddler on the Roof, they do that. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord, and it goes right through that. Now, I'm not sure about this song, but it, it has that little song to it. And so, has anybody ever watched Fiddler on the Roof? That is, if you want to see Jewish customs, you pick them up as you just watch them. Like uh, Reptavia, when he goes through a door, he, he does this with the the post and lentil and he has his little knot on his belt you know, all these different things that was a conservative Jew in Russia would do back in you know the late 1800s early 1900s and so it's the very um, uh, I mean it was written by Jews and it was most performed by Jews just amazing how many all, all the Jews that were part of that uh, award winning but it's really powerful it's just too bad that you don't see them getting saved at the end you know, Fiddler on the Roof, because it was a saying that, what was it? If you really thought something was going to happen, it was like a fiddler on the roof, which uh, there's not too many fiddlers on the roof or whatever. But uh, that's uh, but it really shows you a lot of their culture, and you could even pick up some of their songs through that, uh, through that uh, music. So uh, then we see uh, a blessing pronounced. Where he says, may, you create, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you, or whatever. But here, may the Lord give you increase more and more. I'd like to hear that tune. You and your children, and you can imagine mom and dad looking at the kids and singing that. Uh, may the Lord, uh, uh, may you be blessed, uh, the Lord who made heaven and earth. There again, what do we see? All the way through the Bible, God created the heavens and earth. If you get away from that, then you, that's the reason when you lose the foundation, you lose truth. Once you lose, that's the reason uh, why creation is attacked so strongly today because that's the very foundation of the world. It is he that has made us, not we ourselves. If he didn't make us, then let's do bend the genders. Let's do whatever we want to do. But if God made us, then who are we to question and so again, we see that uh, uh, the Lord blessed and keeps us. But then we see the listening God, and that's the very end. Um, and again, we see that uh, the heaven 
even the heavens. So here we have heaven, the third heaven, then the second heaven, which is the stars and moons, moon, moon and stars. He says, are the Lord's. So that's his domain. We've talked about angels you know, over and repeatedly. How many times have I said there's just something outside of our understanding of the heavens? And even as we look up at the heavens, they declare the glory of God. They're just too big for us to understand. Right? Just too big. And so again, that's God's. But the earth, God gave a certain amount of dominion to the children of men. And this is kind of a responsibility kind of to a kid. What God has given us is something that we need to cultivate. Right? God's given us life. Let's cultivate life. He gave him the garden. Let's cultivate the garden. And so we see that... uh, uh, that, that he granted us a certain amount of dominion. Did he, and we see that he granted it to, to, uh, to Adam. And so does man have, and there's, is, there any, is there any living, visible being on earth that has dominion over man? No. Uh, you say, wait a minute, a, a tiger out in the middle of the, uh, the jungle, uh, you know, the lion sleeps tonight or whatever. Uh, yes, he has to, yeah, that's his domain. So, but the thing about it, you got to be smart enough to outsmart him. You put him in a cage, you know, right? I mean, uh, tigers have their dominion, but uh, God's giving you enough sense to know how to manage it, supposedly. Now, so we see that, uh, so again, uh, God, God has granted dominion uh, to man here on earth. That's the one reason I, I don't mind a little bit of uh, of people that are that are concerned about pollution. I don't want my water there again. Jane Eyre, or not Jane Eyre, but the Bronte sisters. All three of them died early. You know why? And they died because they think that they lived and they had a nice house, but they lived next to a graveyard, and a lot of the stuff came over from the graveyard, and they died from tuberculosis. Yuck! Their water was polluted. And here they were, famous girls, and they all died before they got reached 40. And yet, uh, so yes, I'm against, uh, you know, I'm against dirty water. I'm against uh, dirty air. You know, well, anything we can do to clean it up. I'm against, you know, you, you ladies are against dirty houses, you know, so we all are. But uh, there again, there's things that we want to, to uh, glorify God with, and even in our cleanliness, and watching even... With animals, the Lord, and we'll see later in the book of Deuteronomy next week, how the God says, take care of your animals. I'll judge you by the way you take care of animals. Isn't that interesting? Love your neighbor as yourself, but take care of those animals too. And does that mean you shouldn't swat a, a fly? or whatever? No, he doesn't say that. But uh, again, we see that, uh, but then this is a one verse, and we're, we're running out of time. But he says, the dead do not praise the Lord. Can you think of the Lord saying that a few hours before he died? Remember what he said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Death in the Bible, or hell in the Bible, or death and hell in the Bible, are not a cessation of existence. It's a separation from God. A great gulf fix, remember? Uh, between Lazarus and, and hell. And so 
when the Lord said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God the Father looked at sin on the cross and turned his head away from it. And so the Lord literally spent hell on the cross because hell is bad as far as the fire and brimstone is concerned. But the worst part about hell is the absence of God. That is going to be the worst part of hell because God is good. There won't be any good in hell. God is love. There won't be any love in hell. I talked about that one county that I mentioned. That's just kind of a, a brutal feeling. And sometimes you don't, sometimes it's really hard to even sense that anything good's there. You know, can it, but yet, you know, God and his mercy, you know, there are good people there. But uh, in hell, there's nothing good. How sad. I, I don't think we can, we can't comprehend heaven in all of its glory, but I don't think we can comprehend hell in all of its misery. Just think about it. I mean, it's not the fire. It's the absence of God. If God is love, that means if I met my wife in hell, I couldn't have the emotion for her, or could I? I don't know. You know, there again, what does God allow in hell? If I met my best buddies in hell, and we'd all have a good old time, we'd be fighting like cats and dogs. Just, and so there again, hell is going to be a bad place. And just imagine, the Lord knew that. And he knew he was going to a place where God the Father was going to look away from him. That must have been pretty rough. The only time in eternity, God the Father and God the Son were separated. And that must have been hell on earth, literally, for the Lord Jesus. And then we see that, um, so I like what uh, this commentator's name is Guzik. Guzik. He says, when God sang, or when Jesus sang this with his disciples in Matthew twenty six thirty. He sang knowing that he would not sing among his disciples on earth anymore. Consider the depth of feeling in Jesus that would uh, that, that would bring. That would be rough, wouldn't it? I mean, just uh, no wonder he went to the to Gethsemane and cried and you know, great sweat drops of grief. I mean, he was going through emotional turmoil. Just think about it. If he became sin for us, that means that all the guilt and, and sin in the world were piled on him. And it wasn't the spear in his side that killed him. It was the crushing, and uh, doctors have said, and, I, and different people say different things, but said that he died from a burst heart because his water and blood came out of his heart. And that means that his heart was just so overwhelmed with sin, it burst his... So who killed... Who killed Jesus? The Jews, right? No, you and me. Our sins killed him on the cross. So just think about what he knew he was going there. He, he made him to be sin for us. He knew what he was going to bear and the indescribable pain that must have been. And then, of course, we will bless the Lord. And here's good old C.H. Spurgeon. I like the way he puts it. Uh, Though the dead cannot and the wicked will not and the careless do not, Praise God. Yet we will shout hallelujah forever and ever. Amen. And so, you know, the, uh, the dead cannot, the wicked will not, and the careless do not. But we who fear the Lord will praise him forever and ever. Isn't that great? Okay. Any questions or comments about to what we've looked at tonight?